Would you pray with me? God, great indeed is your faithfulness. From the rising of the sun to its setting, we are reminded over and over and over again that you are God and we are not. Forgive us for the ways that we chase after life that is only found in you. Forgive us for the ways that we stumble and sin, for the things that we say that should not be said, for the things that we do not do that ought to be done. Were it left to our own energy, we would be lost. And yet great is your faithfulness. For you loved us so much that you sent your son that we might know life. And you beckoned to us again, turn, repent, come. And you forgive. And we find grace. Thank you, God. And so I pray now as we continue in worship this morning that you would once again soften our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you give us ears to hear your word again? Would you sharpen our minds that we might see the mind of Christ? And then would you give us courage to respond to you this day? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, uh, first of all, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. My name is Suzanne Vogel. I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge. I want to particularly welcome those of you who are worshiping with us online. And today, we are celebrating Worldwide Communion Sunday. This is a day when we are invited to remember that the body of Christ is far bigger than just our little gathered community. And so we're going to do a couple of things to help us tangibly remind that this morning. And the first is that I asked Eddie Banja, he is one of our deacons, to come and read our scripture passage for us this morning. And so if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it. We are continuing in our Philippians series. We're going to be looking at verse uh, 18b, going all the way through verse 30 in chapter 1. Philippians 2, reading from 18b to 30. Philippians 2, 18 to 30. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful works for Christ. So I really don't know which is better for me. I am torn between two de desires. 
I long to go and be with Christ, which will be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he has done through me. Thank you. Oh, let's, should we finish it? Whatever happens? Let's finish through me. Okay. All right. And then, oh, we're going to go to the 30. But I can do it. I can pick it up. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Thank you Eddie. So I have to tell you, most weeks, my goal as I write a sermon, is to take the passage and find ways to make it applicable. I study, I ponder, I read, I look up words in the original language because I'm a geek like that. I, uh, I look for illustrations to make points a little more understandable and usually find them often in my own life because, you know, God makes me live sermons before I preach them, usually. My whole goal, and the goal of our whole pastoral staff, is to build a bridge between the Bible and our lives right here, right now, in Johnston, Iowa, in the year 2022. But this week, I have a confession to make. I struggled with that task. Maybe you struggled a little bit, too, listening to this passage. See, this passage is kind of intense. It's easy for us to hear these words read in a sanitized room, in a comfortable space, in comfy chairs. But if you stopped and really listened to the words of this passage, then you heard Paul wrestling with suffering and death from a front row seat. See, for Paul, death is not a hypothetical, but a very present possibility. He can't decide whether it would be better to live or to die. And he talks about being torn between the two, pressed between life and death. He puts what's best for his community over what would be best for him. And that which he believes at this point would be best for him, is to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. He describes some types of suffering as not just unavoidable, but honorable. 
Now, let's be clear, not all suffering is unavoidable and honorable. Some suffering is just the result of our poor choices. Can I get an amen in the house? Yeah. What Paul has in view is the kind of suffering that's the result of following Jesus, and that suffering is honestly something that most of us can't imagine. It's things like torture and imprisonment and even death. And if you listen carefully and go another layer down, you hear this mix of certainty and uncertainty as Paul was speaking. He imagines he can control things that he can't, like whether he will live or die. He longs to come to them. He says he's coming to them. And then he also says, yeah, but I might not come to you. And that's understandable when you stop and think about the fact that Paul is in prison in this moment. He's facing death. And what's more, the letter he's writing, this letter that he's writing, is to a people who are also likely, some of them, in prison. Perhaps facing, facing death. And I think that's where I initially tripped. Because all of those things are not true of us. See, the vast majority of us, majority of us will never see the inside of a prison cell. And if we do, it's probably the result of our poor choices. It's not because we follow Jesus. None of us face the possibility of being beaten or tortured this afternoon. Some of us might be facing death today, and I don't want to diminish that. In fact, those of you who are probably have a much clearer sense of this passage than the rest of us. But I don't think any of us imagine that there could be a possibility that tomorrow, the mil if the military found out we were here today, would find us and imprison us. We gathered today without fear, more worried about whether we'd like the music than whether we would be arrested. And I could feel the danger of minimizing Paul's words in that context. How do we locate ourselves in a passage like this when our context is so very different? How do we build that bridge to Johnston, Iowa, in the year 2022. But the longer I wrestled, the more I started to sense an invitation. Because today, we celebrate Worldwide Communion Sunday. It's a day when we remember that we are part of a much larger family of God. 2.53 billion believers, to be exact around the world. But of those, 360 million Christians live in nations with high levels of persecution and danger. That's one in seven Christians worldwide. One in seven. Now, if we go to different countries or continents, those increase. For example, one in five believers in Africa live in a place where there is imminent persecution and danger. Two in five in Asia. One in five in Latin America. 
So while we aren't facing death, more than a thousand a thousand more Christians were killed last year than the year before. That's twenty-five percent increase to nearly six thousand men, women, and children who lost their lives last year for the sake of the gospel. We're not at risk of being jailed, but six thousand one hundred and seventy-five Christians were put in prison without any trial last year. Close to 4,000 were abducted. We gathered this morning without fear, but in 2021, 5,500 churches were attacked on a Sunday morning or during the course of their worship. Now, those statistics were provided by Open Door Ministries, a ministry dedicated to supporting the persecuted church and around the world. And most people would agree those numbers are actually very conservative. And while those numbers are sobering, every one of them represents a person, a woman, or a man. For example, I want to share with you one story of a woman in Afghanistan who follows Jesus. Now, let me set this up for just a second. We are using a video from Open Door Ministries, and there is closed captioning, but it's small. We couldn't fix that. And so uh, I understand. We'll actually post this on Facebook later and reference it, so if you want to watch it again. But I thought it would be good for us to hear from somebody who is firsthand experiencing the kind of intensity that Paul was experiencing themselves. जब मैं जाने का सोचती हूँ तो वो बम धमाका याद आ जाता है यू मालूम होता था कि रूह अभी जिसम को छोड़ जाएगी उनकी आवाजों से कोई घर ना आ जाए तालिबान घर घर ढूंढ रहे हैं लोगों की छोटी छोटी बच्चियों से शादियां कर रहे हैं हर घर में हमारी तलाशी कर रहे हैं और अगर हम में से उन्हें कोई मिल जाए वही उसे कत्ल कर देते हैं पता नहीं किस दिन ये हमारे दरवाजे पर आ जाएंगे डर लगता है कि उन लोगों के आने से पहले कहीं भूख ही ना हमें मार दे तीन रोज से एक ही दाल की कटोरी पे मेरा पूरा खानदान गुजारा कर रहा है लेकिन पड़ोस वालों के तो बच्चे भी बहुत छोटे हैं पता नहीं कि वो छोटू का भूत कहाँ से पूरा करेंगे पता नहीं छोटू कैसा है उसकी आवाज भी बहुत कम आती है ने हमें बेशक मुश्किलें बर्दाश्त करने को बुलाया है और जब अपनी बेटी और अपने बेटे को देखती हूँ तो दिल बैठ सा जाता है उनकी आंखों में जो बेहतर जिंदगी की उम्मीद है उसको बुझने ना दे व 
हमारा बहुत दिल करता है कि हम इसी तरह अपने ईमानदार बहन भाइयों के साथ अपने खुदा की परस्तिश करें उसके हजूर सर झुकाएं पर अब ये मुमकिन नहीं हम सिर्फ अपने बुजुर्ग को रात की तारीखी में हमसे मिलने की इजाजत देते हैं ताकि ना उनको कोई देख सके ना हमें मुझ में इतनी जरूरत नहीं कि मैं अपनी खुशी अपने गम और अपने मसाइल से आपको रोशनास करा सकूं। लेकिन मैं ये जानती हूं कि मेरा मसीह और आपका मसीह एक है और हम दुआ के जरिए एक दूसरे के साथ जुड़े हुए हैं क्योंकि हम मसीह का बदन हैं। For those of you who maybe had trouble reading, she spoke about how the Taliban bursts into homes and takes uh, folks who they believe have been uh, worshiping Jesus. She spoke of hunger and how her whole family has been sharing one pot of porridge for the last three days. She talked about how the only time they can see their pastor is in the dead of night so that he and they are not identified. And then she spoke of longing for a day when they would be able to worship with their sisters and brothers in Christ. And as a note, I want to recognize not all Muslims uh, persecute Christians. Uh, in fact, the violence against Muslims is also up worldwide. And so I found myself asking one more time, how do we locate ourselves in this passage this morning? And then it occurred to me, what if we aren't supposed to focus this morning on us? What if we're called this morning as we celebrate worldwide communion together to not focus on what God wants to do for us, but on what we're called to do for our sisters and brothers around the world. I found myself thinking about verses 18 and 19 again. Paul says to the Philippians, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Did you catch that? Paul says to them, your prayers help deliver me. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers, my prayers, are not just this thing we do, but they are a real way that God provides for our sisters and brothers around the world. And so once again, I wondered if God was asking us to focus not on ourselves this morning, but to build bridges of prayer for Christians around the world who need it urgently. This is a map of the world that shows the places and the countries where there is the most persecution. The top five are Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, and Yemen. So my friends, Open Doors has put together a prayer guide that I'd like to lead us through. Five simple prayers that we can pray 
for believers around the world who are experiencing persecution. Now, I know this is maybe not the worship service you had anticipated this morning. And I think that's okay. Because I think we're invited to bear one another's burdens. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through these five simple prayer points together. Each one has been requested by people who are going through suffering. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us to pray the prayer aloud in unison together. And then there'll be a couple moments of silence for you to pray however you feel led for those believers around the world. All right, so would you get comfortable? You'll want to follow along on the screen so uh, you can close your eyes during the silence if you want to. The first thing that we're prompted to pray is for courage. Could we put the black background behind those so people can read it? Is that possible? Maybe? All right. There we go. All right. Nope, maybe not. We'll get there. There we are. Thank you. All right. Now we've got a video. We're okay. Just relax. Talk amongst yourselves. This has been kind of heavy, so we'll give it a minute. All right. There we go. We're going to pray for courage. Would you join me in praying? God, would you grant your people sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in their bodies. Lord, hear our prayers. The next prayer is to pray for contentment. Would you follow along with me as we pray for contentment? God, might our sisters and brothers experience the overriding joy that is found only in Christ. May they draw closer to you and experience the peace which passes all understanding. Lord, hear our prayer. The next thing I'd like to prompt us to pray is for consolation or comfort. Would you pray with me? God, might you pour out your spirit right now on those who are experiencing imprisonment, exploitation, torture, or the threat of death. Be to them, Emmanuel, God with them, bringing comfort and resurrection hope. Lord, hear our prayers. We pray now for compassion. Would you join me? God, 
to love our enemies is impossible without your Holy Spirit. Would you empower your people to follow the example of Jesus, forgiving those who tortured and crucified him instead of retaliating or seeking vengeance? Lord, hear our prayers. Finally, would you join me in praying for composure? God, we cannot imagine how some of our sisters and brothers can stand firm in the spirit without being frightened in any way by those who oppose them. You give them courage to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, whatever happens. God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. The beauty, at least for me, of praying those words was that I realized it put my life back in perspective. It invited me to experience more composure and compassion and comfort in the person of Jesus. And now, as we gather to actually celebrate the Lord's Supper with those around the globe, I was reminded that the beauty of this table is that it doesn't just remind us of God's love for us individually, because in the same way that my dinner table brings my family together, this table unites us with our family sisters and brothers across the world and across time. 